Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Welcome to this week's episode of It's All About the Questions. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, as I always say on my show, because I don't know what time zone you're in that you're listening to this, or if you're listening to the recording versus the live that I'm doing here with my amazing guest, who I'm so excited to have back on the show after years. Um, she was on my broadcast radio show and now is one of my first guests on this new platform where I'm going Zoom to Facebook Live and I'm still learning it. And Marlene Chisholm is, oh my God, she's not only a friend, but she is the bomb, as they used to call it. And I'm probably dating myself, right, Marlene? I don't think they say that anymore. What do they say? She's off the chain. I don't even know any of those phrases. Ruby, cool, hot. <laughs> But I'm so excited to have Marlene on the show, everyone, because she is, you know, when I was going through my last divorce, Marlene really helped me figure out how to stop drama, right, in the conversations. When I was selling my business, when all these different things were going on, when I was trying to start a new business, and these conversations get so emotionally charged, and it kind of stops your forward momentum. And Marlene wrote this amazing book, Stop Workplace Drama, that changed my whole perspective on the conversation around pretty much everything I do in my business or my life. So, I mean, Marlene, that book you wrote is truly revolutionary. And then you also have No Drama Leadership, which I love and I adore. Um, for me, I never thought of drama in the way that you you talk about it. So to my listeners out there, we're just going we're just going to chat about it. But Marlene, one thing before we start, I just want to tell everybody watching on Facebook Live that I am not super comfortable yet going back and forth between looking at your comments. So if I don't get to them or Marlene can't look at them, we both promise you, right Marlene, that we will look at your comments after it's over and we will respond to any questions or anything. It's, it's so great. So Marlene, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It, you know, you recently wrote, I, I think, I don't know if it was a blog post, but I got it in my email because I am on your, see, uh, I even oh, yeah. it out. <laughs> I'm old school that way, you know, I ever note it, but I also uh, print stuff out when it really impacts me. And there was something that she said, and I'm just going to read it, if I may. Go ahead. And, and this was about your mom and things that were going on, but this really stu stood out to me. In my desire to meet all of our needs, our relationship became one-sided and focused only on her problems, her life, and her needs. We co-created a situation of victim-hero where one person was always suffering and one person had all the answers. That to me was so powerful because I know I started to see that with my mom. I've seen that with business relationships. Can you expand upon that, please, and talk about why it is so critical to gain awareness of that? 
Yeah, I mean, that we could talk about that one question. I could never come up for air. But um, a lot of that is built on a model that truly changed my life. So at the foundation of that belief system or that understanding of how human dynamics happen, um, there's this model called the Karpman Drama Triangle. And the idea is that when relationships are not working, and you can say business relationships, manager, boss relationship, elderly mom and caregiving daughter, whatever the relationships are, when relationships are dysfunctional, you'll see certain behavioral patterns. And one of those patterns is the victim role. The other is the persecutor. And then there's the rescue role. And a lot of times what happens, let's take the caregiving situation that I'm going through with my elderly mother that you've been through. We switch roles because we become the decision maker, the caretaker, and we're dealing with someone who's been our boss, so to speak, and it now is irrational, very needy, can't do most things by themselves. You have to make decisions that make someone angry. And what happens is you get into the pattern of victim hero. And then before long, you see yourself as the rescuer, the helper, the hero, and the other person's always doing something wrong. And so one of my philosophies is that when you change the way you see someone, you change the relationship. And so when you start to see someone as needy, they're a victim, they're always having problems, they're always complaining, when that's the only facets that you see in them you start treating them differently and you start having resentment and that's when you start persecuting getting sarcastic look it's my way or the highway since you can't do much for yourself anyway it becomes this back and forth this exchange that just creates a toxicity in your relationships and so when we are struggling in our relationships it's because of the dynamics have changed it's how we're seeing someone it's sometimes us not realizing how to set boundaries or how to speak truth or how to get our own needs met. And it's just an awareness tool to say, where am I operating on that triangle? And, you know, as I've gone through this aging process and caregiving process to be able to have my ups and downs and my being exhausted and feeling resentful, um, being able to see that it had become very imbalanced and that I was giving up so much of myself to try to fulfill an ever growing need. And I know you've been there too but that creates an imbalance in our own lives. And, and just like they say, you know, on the airplane, put your own oxygen mask on first. Right. It comes a point where you're smothering because there's not even room for your own oxygen mask. So long story there, but it's really based on that concept of the Cartman drama triangle where you see a victim, a persecutor and a rescuer and how that starts to shift and change dynamics as the relationships go on. This is the first time I ever got this realization when the last two years of my, when I owned my tech services company, I was really getting fried and burned out. But as you were describing that relationship and behavior patterns, I realized that that's how I was with my staff too, mm -hmm. um, because I was done. I, so everything they did, every behavior that they had, I was looking at them with a shift in perception, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's just, if I could have shifted that at some point somehow, caught it sooner, would I have sold? Would I have sold differently? I don't know, but it's interesting because I never thought of it. And even the first time I had to fire an employee, that behavior had started beforehand. It's almost like an avoidance of the person because, um, and this is something you wrote 
in another one of your blog to avoiders overestimate the price of keeping the peace. Yes, because the problem is still there. So it's sort of like a boil, you know, you may not be able to see something under your skin, but it still hurts and it's going to be messy at some point. And so a lot of people think that they're keeping peace when in reality, they are suppressing and they're suppressing not only the issues, but their own anger. And so when I have people contact me for coaching and I get a lot of men on this one too, not women as well, but I get a lot of men, they'll say, Oh, I have an anger problem. It's starting to hurt my relationships. And my response to that is you probably don't have an anger problem. You have an awareness problem. So you're just what? Just say that one more time. You may not have an anger problem. You may have an awareness problem. So in other words, the first time the irritation happens, you tell yourself a story. It's not that big a deal. I'm an adult. The second time it happens, you kind of hint around for them to change it and they don't. And then you, you go into, well, everybody has problems. The third time it happens and you actually ask directly if you even have the courage to do that or the awareness to do it. And they just avoid it because people do what works for them. Then you tell yourself a story that they don't care about you and the next time that it happens you blow up and for them it's the first time they've ever heard it and so what I tell people is anger is not the truth but it's the fuel that can get you there so don't be upset about your anger don't try to be a nice girl don't try to say I don't feel anger when you do own it know that you feel it and know that it's not the truth in other words you don't need to make a decision off of the anger but the anger is your friend and it's telling you something it's saying a boundary has been crossed it's saying you haven't been aware that this has happened five times and, and you irritated the first time and now you're furious. Uh, it's telling you that you don't know how to ask for what you want or receive what you want. Anger is trying to get your attention and tell you something. And when you blow up and you feel shame and you repeat the cycle all over again, well, I'm just going to have more self-control. I'm just going to be nicer. I'm going to now bring cookies in to show people that I was just having a bad day. When in reality, when we embrace our anger and we say, it's telling me something and I need to pay attention, then it, what happens is you expand your conflict capacity. Then you notice the first irritation. You notice when someone rolls their eyes and you're able to say, you know, I just noticed you rolled your eyes when I said that. The story I'm telling myself is that you disagree. What's up? Instead of you allow it 15 times and then three years into a marriage, you're getting divorced. Or um, a boss putting somebody on the sidelines because the staff member is doing something. But I mean, how do you know if how you're reacting is an appropriate reaction for what's going on and not something that is completely unrelated, but they're triggering you from something else in your life? You don't always know that's the problem. Um, we all try to be perfect. Um, but how I help clients to know is to, first of all, was that aligned? Like, is that is that aligned with who you, your values? Like, is that how you want to show up? Not was it right or wrong? Who was right? Who was wrong? And is that the truth? So it's about questioning the story that you tell yourself because we live our lives from the stories we tell. Okay. And the problem that we human beings have is that we believe everything we think. You know, and that's what's going on like right now. I don't really want to get off into this topic, but a lot of this you know, um, politics and civil unrest and whatnot, there's a lot of narrative, a lot of storytelling, and it's hard to separate fact from fiction and our own narratives and our own experiences from what's really going on. And so we have to learn how to be critical thinkers and question our assumptions. Well, you know, someone walks past you and they don't speak and we assume, oh, well, they've 
you know, they're, they don't like me. You come to find out they just had eye surgery and they can't see. It's that kind of thing. You know, it's like I give the example of if you're sitting at a stoplight and it turns green and there's a person in front of you and you're running late and they sit there the whole time and you're laying on the horn and you're just like, you're they're clueless they're, and you're furious. But if you had additional knowledge and you found out that they were having the heart attack, it changes your whole experience right. of someone sitting there at a green light. We have instances like that every single day of we make snap judgments, which may or may not be grounded in fact, but we make up a story and then we live our lives, make our decisions and have our reactions based on that versus the willingness to be wrong or to get new information. I know my mom and dad always told me that it's, you know, when they were teaching me how to drive, they said, you don't know what's going on for somebody who's driving that car. They may cut you off. They may be laying on their horn they may be doing something that really annoys you and makes you have to slam on your brakes. Don't get mad at them. Learn how to be defensive because people have stuff going on mm -hmm. and you don't know what that is. They could have just had a phone call that somebody's in the hospital and they're trying to get to them. I've had that rushing to the hospital with Absolutely. my parents. Or like you said, a heart attack. I know somebody that saw a heart attack happening in a car next to them and they called 911 and sat with the person so you just really don't know but when you're in a business situation marlene and your employees or your boss is acting a certain way or your boss's boss or something like that how do you begin to process through some things that you may never get an answer to but maybe you need your job or you love your job and you need to find a way through it. Well, one thing you can do is you can perception check. So you can say, um, I noticed that you raised your voice. I'm perceiving that you're angry with me for something. Like you can check, you can actually call something out uh, to, to perception check and to try to create a conversation. So that doesn't always work. Sometimes people will say, oh, no, it's just you. You're just being sensitive. You know, and at that point you go, well, perhaps I am, but I need you to speak to me in a calm voice. You can ask for what you want. Um, you can set a boundary. You can say, I'm not available to be yelled at. I want to talk with you. I get that you might be having a bad day. We have choices. The point that I'm making is there's techniques, there's tools, there's programming ways you can program yourself to have choices versus thinking that you're the victim of someone else's bad behavior. Okay, take me through some of those um, choices, some of these pro practices that people can use because I find them invaluable. Yes, one again is speak to the vision. So let's say that you're a manager and uh, uh, you're having to give a difficult conversation and someone's coming into you to complain about something. You want to stay in control of that conversation. You want to be able to ask the question, what do you want? And what I found is that when you ask most people that are complaining what they want, what you're going to hear is, let me tell you about what happened last week. You see, I've asked a question about what you want, and I'm trying to get them to go to the island called what do you want, and they want to go to the island called what's not fair. And people want their stories to be heard. There's nothing wrong with that. But as someone that's leading a conversation, to be able to basically say, what is it that you want? Or like, if you could wave a magic wand, what is it that would make you feel um, that you're being heard? Well, let me tell you what else isn't fair, and I've got seniority, and let me tell you what they're saying about you. 
if they're you, stuck in the story. They're stuck in a story, which for them is a reality. It's not, they're not doing it on purpose to manipulate. But what you've got to do as a leader is to guide the conversation back to an end result. The same thing that happens when I'm coaching leaders and I'll hear something like, I've got this one director that's pretty worthless. And I'll say, I'll say, well, what, um, what are they doing that they shouldn't be doing? Oh, hard to say. Well, what are they not doing that they shouldn't be doing? It's just their attitude. If you'll notice, there's no observable behavior. It's all perception. It's all story. Until you can actually name the observable behavior, you can't really help someone to change. If you don't know what you want, I can't help you get there. I get this all the time with people saying, oh, we've got a lot of drama in the workplace. Here's what's going on. We need a workshop. They've already determined that a workshop is going to fix everything. And I'll say, well, how do you know that a workshop's going to help? Well, you wrote the book called Stop Workplace Drama. We've got drama. We want you to have the workshop. And I'll say, well, what's happening that shouldn't be happening? Oh, just a bunch of negativity. But see what they don't want to really look at is the reason people do what they do is because it works. So there has to be leadership. Ah. People do what they do because it works. You know, like, so why does the pot stir stir the pot? Why does the other person come in and gossip and tell you what everybody else is saying about you? Because that works for them. And there's been no leadership. So until leaders get that they are leading and it's not about what everybody else is doing, you can't fix anything because there's not been an, an island to get to. We don't know what we want. And so if we don't know what we want, then throwing a workshop or a diversity program or an inclusion program, those are checklists. Those aren't results. Okay, so, so then when, as I'm hearing that, I'm, I'm thinking through not only from an employee side, but from a um, leadership side, okay? If leaders, when we were talking about avoiding, allow this behavior to continue and continue where the gossiping is happening, or one employee, what, you know, I hate that we call it a queen, you know, the queen drama bee, queen. Bee. Could be a king bee. Drama king, drama queen, drama person that yeah. always seems to control meetings, even though that's not what should happen. That leaders have a responsibility to look at their own behavior that continues behaviors that create existing drama because it's just easier. Or they're like, well, I don't, I, that person need, I need that person. Do you ever really need that person? That's creating sometimes all that you do. Sometimes you do, but the, and there's fears, there's natural fears. And, and what I find is this, the reason there's avoidance, it, it could be cultural. Okay. So let's say that if I am hired as an outsider to take over a department, I'm supposed to clean house. Well, I find out that when I try to clean house, it's not supported. In fact, the rules are changed. Well, that's cultural. You've hired me for that, but you don't want to stand behind me, right? A lot of middle managers feel that. They've told me to make these decisions, but when I do, they don't back me, and then that person gets to stay employed, even though I've tried to put them on suspension or I've tried to create a plan. So now we learn that the real way that things work around here is we're not going to be supported. So we just got to kind of sweep it under the rug. So it could be cultural. If it's not cultural and it is supported at the top, then it may be a skills-based issue, like they were never trained on how to have conversations without getting kind of distracted or thrown off guard or into the someone crying or someone getting angry. If you don't have the skill set, you're going to have an emotional reaction to it, which is I'm afraid of my anger or I'm afraid I won't know what to say when they derail me. So it's a combination of culture, skills, and managing your own emotions. All right, so let's expand upon that, some of the skills you talked about just now 
one would think, one would hope, right, that most people who have promoted up to a leadership role already have them. But you and I have both seen that that's not true. And I acknowledge that that was not true when I ran my company. I, I was good at times and I was really bad <laughs> at other times. But I've learned at this point in time. I used to say I was a horrible manager. And now I'm saying to myself, I didn't have all the tools that I needed at the time. So what are some of the things that people can begin to do, especially with everything going on today? I mean, these are tools that everybody needs in their wheelhouse, right? But with work from home becoming the norm and will probably be the norm. I mentioned on my show last week that Google had announced that they're letting their employees work from home through 2021. So this is here to stay. School for several of my friends, a good friend of ours, Jocelyn um, Carbonara, right? Who I had on the show two weeks ago and her husband, Scott, last week. She posted on Facebook that her daughter just started eighth grade from home. That's going to bring up all sorts of things that people don't have the tools. So what can we begin? What can they start doing? I love that question because there's one thing that's present in all drama. There's actually the way that my methodology works, the frameworks that I use, those are, there's three common components always present in drama. And the first component is a lack of clarity. And so the thing that I say is that in all drama, there's always a lack of clarity. Then I'll say, just because you have a lack of clarity in an area does not necessarily mean that you have drama. But if you have drama, and my definition for drama is any obstacle to peace or prosperity, a lot of drama in our world right now. If, yes. you, have, if you have drama, I will guarantee there's a lack of clarity somewhere. And then the final statement is clarity can change any situation. So if all you do is focus on where is there a lack of clarity or where am I unclear? Where are they unclear? Where is there a lack of clarity? If you just meditate on that for a day, you're going to find a lot of threads. It could be a lack of clarity in the policy. It could be a lack of clarity in the way I'm communicating what I want. It could be that I change my mind all the time. Therefore, you don't trust. Therefore, there's always a lack of clarity. Am I going to get it right? Um, it could be that a lack of clarity in our values. We say this is what we value, and yet we open the fair. Like we say it's all about lockdown COVID, yet we allow protests and we allow the fair to open, but we don't allow church. Lack of clarity there. It's inconsistent. It's incongruent. So that creates upset between people that have a different agenda. And so we have to create these consistencies, this congruency. And so anytime there is drama, there's a lack of clarity. And if you can find what that is, you can correct it. It will change any situation. And most of the time when we think, like, for example, if we say, well, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. That is not an issue of time. It's an issue of priorities, which means it's an issue of values. So there's an example of how it works. I um, had a guest on when I was still on broadcast last year, Maureen, Maura Neville Thomas, I think her name was, where she talked about it's not time management, it's attention management. Mm. We need to stop worrying about our calendar and get clarity on our priorities. And what and we value. So when, when you were just talking about that, some things came up for me, right? It would be really great if we could stop the drama before it starts. So is this a process that you recommend 
that even if you don't think there's drama, which, you know, in my opinion, everything's got drama in it, whether it's at a lower level or at a higher level, what, what would be some things that leaders can do or employees can do? Do they just ask themselves, where is there not clarity uh, in my position? Where is there not clarity to my staff? Where is there not clarity in vision? Where is there not clarity in emotions? I mean, I'm trying to understand for my listeners things that they can do even if they're not seeing the drama. Okay. So here's one, another model that I use a lot and the model is about alignment. And so we use that word a lot. Oh, we're not aligned with this or we're aligned with that. This is how I like to think of alignment and the distinction I make. Clarity has to come before alignment. Now, I will notice I'm out of alignment before I notice that I don't have clarity. Oh, okay. interesting. Okay. Yeah, so think about this. Something's disturbing you. Something's disturbing you because you have conflicting priorities. So, like, you want to make your mom happy, but you also need to make certain decisions that won't make her happy two arrows going in separate directions. Right. That's an alignment issue because if I was doing everything I thought I was doing right and it was, she was in agreement and she was happy and the decision was perfect, I would feel complete alignment. I would feel good about the decision. But when I have to make a decision that is her safety versus her happiness, I'm going to feel some misalignment until I get clear about the outcome that I really have to complete. Right. Okay. And in a business situation. Same thing. I want employees to be happy and employees would be a lot happier if we didn't have masks and if we were coming back to work. But there's a law right now that we have to wear masks if we're all in one building or we can work like this and maybe there's a furlough. So I have to look at the alignment of saving the company more than making employees happy for today. I have to look at the health of the entire community and what I'm going to believe experts are telling me versus I'm going to be on my own bandwagon talking about conspiracy and fighting against the government. You know, we have to make decisions based on keeping the company alive and, and sustainable during a time. Unless we're, you know, like I look at it this way, the worst that can happen when you're not sure, especially like in this situation is that you, maybe wore a mask and felt stupid because someone was, there was a conspiracy. Right. Right. Like the worst that could happen if you decide to just go along with it and like try to comply. When you're standing on a bandwagon creating lawsuits and, you know, blaming and getting on Facebook and creating chaos, you're wasting a lot of time on something that's going to be really difficult to overcome, even if you have agreement. And so it's like looking at the bigger picture and finding alignment um, and making it based on a sense of clarity and overall well-being versus just what I want to right now. So it's a matter of, sorry, go ahead. Now, just, is that making sense or is that just too big of an issue right now? No, I, I think it's a good issue. It, it wasn't something that, you know, I had planned the conversation to go do, but as all my loyal listeners for the last five years have known, I pretty much don't have a plan. I, I have a starting point <laughs> for the shows and I want the conversation to flow naturally. I just got a beautiful review from somebody that said, I feel like I'm at one of those Victorian salons 
these literary salons and I get to be in the room like a fly on the wall listening to these great conversations. So that was like a really great compliment. But as, as I was listening to what you were talking about with the masks and all that, what pops up for me is this whole idea of this conversation of the people in businesses like the restaurants, the um, smaller businesses, their retail, perhaps only, they're in a struggle of, they don't know their strategy. So right. they're in a reactive mode versus a responsive mode. And and I'm thinking based on conversations with clients and with you and, and other guests, that maybe everybody needs to stay, step back in their business, take a breath because they're in the drama of it. Oh my God, I can't handle, I'm overwhelmed, the masks, the cleaning, the this, the that maybe it really is looking at what's my clarity around what I want for the business, what I want for myself, what I want for my staff. If you don't have clarity on the business and yourself, you can't even help yourself. Yeah, that's it. And, and when we're focused on the shark, like in my model, I have a boat and an island. We're trying to get to peace and prosperity. And then the drama is the shark in between the boat and the island. So if we're focused on the shark, which there's some sharks right now, the shark is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's a reality. It's a reality. Businesses are folding. It's not like it's, I'm not being Pollyanna. It's happening. However, if in your own alignment, you can say, okay, so what I'm going to do is look at what I'm for. I'm for innovation. I'm for figuring out the process after I make a decision that we're going to stay viable. And I know that I've got some good people that are working with me that maybe have some good ideas and we can try some things now because they're letting us set up in the parking lots or we can try to only offer two dishes, you know, and there's all kinds of things you can do to try and build process around that. And that becomes your plan in the future. Because right now, if you didn't have a plan and most of us didn't for this kind of thing, I didn't have a plan and I changed my business model. And so, um, you can sit around and talk about what's not fair and who should have done what and point at all the leaders that are trying their best to figure this thing out. If you want to believe that's who they are and that's what I choose to believe there's mistakes being made. I'm not in their position. Glad that I'm not. What choices do I have right now? That's the thinking that you need is what choices do I have now? Because that's the only path of empowerment. If I'm sitting back talking about how there's no choices and I'm a victim of this virus and I'm a victim of our bad government, then you're contributing to the problem by the very nature of your thinking. So the way that you become empowered is to look at your choices, look at your own clarity. And within that framework, that's where you operate. You can't operate past what your framework is. Two companies recently, Schwinn and Kodak. Both of them, Kodak was struggling, as you all know, since the whole camera thing faded out. And Schwinn, whose bicycles were all made offshore, and bicycles have had a massive run on products. There's like no bicycles out there to buy, right? Schwinn looked at it, looked at their mission, looked at their products and went, you know what? It's time for us to bring Schwinn bicycle manufacturing back to the United States. And they did, because they said, however long this lasts, it's impacting our bottom line. So they brought manufacturing back. That's a company that's looking at what you were just talking about. Kodak has been saying for years, we need to figure some stuff out. And they have other product lines that they do. They are now retooling to begin making generic um, pharmaceutical products 
on US soil because people finally realize that 90% of our pharmaceutical pills come from China and India. And that's not really happening right now. So people are having drug problems, um, you know, medical drug problems. That to me really is an example of what you were just talking about. Um, smaller businesses too, a company here in, in Vero Beach, Florida, my favorite, oh my God, Marlene, if you come visit, I have to take you there, um, Counterculture. They were a restaurant at tennis courts. They were, they were renting space from a tennis community in their clubhouse, but it was open to the public. When it, this all hit, you know, tennis wasn't happening because everything got shut down and then people weren't coming in. So they switched to takeout, but then they switched to family meals. And then they started catering dinners where you they would give you everything and you could just heat it up or eat it. And their business boomed, boomed because they realized that people still wanted their food, but in an accessible way at a different price point because they weren't getting the service and all of that. And several times they were so kind and they literally, um, Chef Anthony and Chef Lisa, they arrived at my house with coolers of food for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, you would love that. It's a great example. And it's, um, you have to first come from an abundant mindset and trust. You, you know, this sounds so woo-woo, but kind of trust your journey. Um, something's happening. And like for me with during this, I just kind of took off like three weeks when this first started happening. And my internal sense said, this is going to go on for a year. They're saying two weeks and then they're going to expand it another three weeks. They're shortening the gap. That's what I thought was happening. And it, it was happening. And I just thought people are up in arms right now. They're, you know, it started out with, we're all together. We're together. <laughs> and then a, yeah, conspirator. Yeah, left wing, you right wing. <laughs> and so. Um, They're laughing, but it's true. Yeah, so that's kind of how drama works, right? Like we're in denial at first and singing Kumbaya. We'll get through this together. Thank God the government's going to give us money. You know, it's all this kind of stuff. And so, um I just thought like, I'm going to do some redecorating, remodeling basically on my mom's house. It's a rental that she lives in and I'm just going to take the time to do it because I'm just going to put all my focus there. And a lot of my stuff was rearranging, you know, to happen either in the fall or to go ahead and do things virtually. Right. And, you know, like I was just kind of having fun, like it was a mini vacation because I kind of let go of any pressures to build business or to have business but then it's not like I have employees a whole lot of employees to worry about so I was in a different place but then after just releasing that resistance then ideas came to me and I started doing things that I did back in 2006 you know which is doing virtual offerings for people that could afford to do things you know like I'm doing what I call raging 20s reset and every month I have a different topic but it's three Tuesdays in a row and I'm meeting people from all over the world, you know, and people that are interested in the future of signing up and people that are signing up now. It's, it's a combination of coaching and teaching. I would have never done that if things were going well. I would have said, nope, my work is corporations hiring me to do internal work and not marketing to individuals. But I could actually see doing both if this turns around in the next couple of years. 
So it's just, just be with the flow, go with the flow, try new things. You don't have to have all the answers, but your, your amount of drama is going to be in proportion to your mindset and how much suffering that you're doing. If you're resisting and suffering and, and the re, and the facts may be real, but you can suffer or you can just know that it's difficult and deal with it as it comes, or you can actually create suffering out of something. So to me, drama is more internal. And when you align internally, there's a lot less circumstantial kind of drama. You mentioned releasing resistance. That was something that in your first book really blew me away. And I think it's a critical component to so many pieces of the work that you teach. Expand on that for me and explain what releasing resistance is and how people can begin to do that. Okay, so one of the third components of drama is resistance. So there's a lack of clarity, there's relationships, and there's resistance. And resistance is the non-acceptance of what is and the unwillingness or the inability to see another choice. So there's a victim side to this. Whenever you're in resistance, you feel and you experience life as if there's no other choices. There's always a choice, even if the choice is only the way you experience it. You know, Viktor Frankl, man's search for meaning. There's a space between stimulus and response, and that's your, your choice of how you respond. If that's the smallest choice we have, we still have that choice. So with resistance, we're in a place of non-acceptance, and we have an unwillingness or an inability to see another outcome or another choice. And so resistance, I've expanded on that in the second commercially published book, which is No Drama Leadership. And I took that same model and I, and I came up with the concept that there's a, there's a place where change happens. So when we're in resistance, we're stuck. We are stuck. We don't accept what is. We don't see choices. There's a place where the needle moves. There's a place where change happens. That is what I call the fulcrum point of change. And the fulcrum point of change is a state of willingness. So when we release resistance, it's because... Okay, wait a minute. So I want I, that that's just it's so the huge. fulcrum point of change is willingness. Uh, say it again. Is willingness. Is willingness. Yes. But so often we forget that, right? You have to be willing to recognize. You have to be willing to make a shift. Wow. Okay. That's and here's a piece to that that's interesting too. Willingness is a state. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's a state of emotion. It's an energy. And so when I'm working with someone that's really stuck on something, what I try to do is test for their willingness. And willingness, if you really want to test for willingness, it's about getting to neutral. So in other words, let's say it's in the work aspect. You're, you've got a really poor performer and you feel like you need them. You, can't, you need the head count. You need the warm body. You need them to at least answer the phone, but you need to have a conversation and there's fears about they might quit. So we're stuck. We're on this teeter-totter. Need to keep them. Need to fire them. Need to have a conversation. They could get angry. We're stuck. We don't see choice. So what I do is I work on willingness first. And my, the way I work on willingness, are you willing to have the conversation? Well, it would be difficult. Of course it would. Are you willing to make it difficult and do it anyway? Because if I move the needle on their willingness, then we're, we've moved the needle. Okay. So if, if difficulty is the shark, if difficulty is the obstacle, then I address the obstacle. Of course it's difficult. Are you willing? Well, you know, it's really not that. It might be embarrassing if I mess up. Yeah, but it might be. So are you willing to be embarrassed? Because if you're willing to be embarrassed, you can still have the conversation. Oh, well, you know what? I might end up feeling like I have to fire them. Okay, let's test for that. You willing to fire them? 
wow, then I'd be having to work myself overtime on the weekends. Okay, you willing to work overtime on the weekends? Yeah, I would. Okay, now we're okay. Now, are you willing for them to be the best employee you've ever had? Because now I want to test for that. Because if we can get to willingness, we're at neutral and anything is possible. Well, I like that. Oh, I just love everything you say, but where, where you talked about, am I willing to fire them? But then on the next conversation of questions to ask yourself, and I'm willing, am I willing for this person to be my best employee ever to, to see that there is potentially another side from the conversation. It doesn't always have to be in the worst outcome you can imagine where now you have to fire them and you have to deal with all that and you have to deal with hiring somebody new. It could end up being that conversation could make that person be the best employee ever. And so it's, you know, willing, um, are, but it might hurt their feelings. So see, there's the shark. Might hurt their feelings. Yeah, it might. Like, see, I don't play ping pong and go, oh, you know what? See them as bigger than that. Like, that's a different conversation. That's a different coaching technique. When I'm coaching for empowerment, coaching to release resistance, I'll say, yeah, suppose it does hurt their feelings. Are you willing for their feelings to be hurt to have a good outcome? I don't know. Like I really, I get depressed when I hurt someone's feelings. Okay. You might get depressed. Are you willing to feel some depression in order to make this better? You know what? I might have to put them on probation for three months and then that's going to be like a lot of documentation. Yeah, it might be. So you willing to do the documentation? So I just try to find the barrier. Okay. And the reality is what it is. And so when you're working with, like I teach a process called coaching to empowerment and we'll be doing one of these in the Raging 20 resets at some point next year. But one of the techniques is when you're coaching an employee and you're coaching to empowerment and you're coaching to release their resistance, the question is um, when they throw their barrier up, well, it might be expensive. In fact, I've got a story that might make more sense if I share that story. But so let's say the barrier is, well, wow, that'll, that'll take a lot of time. You can say, yes, it'll take a lot of time. Are you willing to spend the time? So that's asking them to overcome their barrier. Or you can say, if I could reduce the time 20%, would you be willing? I can remove a little bit of the barrier because all I'm trying to do as a leader when I'm coaching to, to the fulcrum point of change is I'm trying to find the point of willingness. Because once we move the needle, it changes everything and the energy is already in play. How do you coach somebody who, and this happens too frequently, right? We just had something in Sebastian where an employee was so angry at the way they were being treated by their manager that there was a delivery driver and he went home, got an AK-47 and came back to the restaurant. This is a sleepy town. This is not behavior we're used to, right? He came back and he planned on shooting the manager and he started shooting up the parking lot Another person in the restaurant that worked there, former Marine, tried to get everybody out and save them. And in the process, he got shot. Unf you know, we use the term going postal. This is not unusual behavior. I mean, we just had a second situation where somebody got fired and showed up at somebody's house with a gun because they, they're like, you shouldn't have fired me. So there's this barrier for that's being put out there, right, of these stories that makes it hard for some people to want to even have this conversation because they're afraid of these 
no pun intended, explosive reactions that come when you speak to somebody, especially if you've allowed the behavior to go on for a while. You, you named the key component there, and I have not done the rigorous research on this to make any claims of here's why this happens, but I have some thoughts about why I think it happens, and maybe I will do that research at some point. So there could be that the person's mentally ill and you didn't see the signs or you've allowed, like you said, the behavior forever and ever, and there's been signs all along, there could be that. So that aside, people are more volatile nowadays, more than ever. We're, we, we've been trained by social media and by the click of an app and whatnot to get what we want immediately. We've been trained by video games. There's a lot of reasons why people are wired the way they are now. Um, but the, all that aside, if you don't know, like if your intention with a conversation is to bring up a list of past things and you're going to get fired today for all of that, that was a shock. So my method is that you should have conversations often and it should be from the intention of improving the performance, not from the intention of documenting so you can fire. What I see a lot of times is once it's gone too far, we've already decided they're bad. We've been talking about this for three years. We've hired someone else to take, to take them off of the payroll and now the conversation is going to be a complete shock and a complete surprise and that's never happened before and they didn't know it was coming so you could prevent i believe a lot of that by having conversations up front very quickly setting expectations for performance and having accountable conversations where they come back two weeks later yeah you made the 15 extra phone calls you're doing great or you didn't make the 15 extra phone calls, so let's talk about why not. What happened? Is it clarity? Is it resources? Is it priority? Is it skill set? Or is it willingness? Because once you have enough conversations, the person, if they really don't have the skills or they're not willing, they will realize this is not a good fit. And generally, with the coaching clients I've had, the person quits on their own or they improve. But what we do is we avoid for too long and then all of a sudden the hammer comes down and it surprises someone and they were already suffering. There you go. It's a problem. Um, I know I'm going to have to replay that, that section over again for myself when I re-listen to the show because with the sound-induced vertigo that I have going on every so often, you saw me probably play with my, um, my earplug and, and some other things. Every so often the sounds will reverberate in my head and then like my brain can't understand words <laughs> that come in, um, which I find really kind of fits sort of with what you're talking about though, Marlene, because when we're, if we were to talk to an employee about issues that we're having with them or a family member, and we're now trying to set boundaries and get clarity on things, but we've been having issues for a year or two years, and all of a sudden we just spew at them in what we think is a rational conversation. It may happen like what happens to me during the show at times, which is why I often, for a day or two after I do the show, I literally go silent. I don't talk, I don't listen, I'm just in silence to get my brain to calm back down. We need to think of it like that, like what's happening in their brain if somebody were to do that to me, how would I react? Mm -hmm. We don't like to be shocked. It's, it's the whole idea, same things happen in marriages. One partner's been thinking about the divorce for half of a decade. 
and they imagine it. They imagine their own place. They imagine how the money's going to be split up. They wait till the kids get a certain age. They've hated all these different things. They've, they've avoided, they've, they've just not brought it up. There's never been, we're too afraid of the conflict and the ways it's going to feel, which it feels pretty bad when you're in conflict with someone that you, that you've built a life with. Then all of a sudden, whenever the news comes that they're having an affair, they want a divorce. That's a big shocker to the other person who was in some way unaware that there was all this dysfunction from the other person's perspective. And so I just look at it like you got to earn your way out of an employee situation. You got to earn your way out of a divorce. And that's going to require of you the courage to have conversations that don't feel good and where you'll mess up and you'll look stupid. But it's, it's an integrity to have those conversations because you give people a chance to course correct versus to be caught off guard and ruin their life sometimes for years because they can't seem to process it. There's something else you wrote in that email that I want to just read out where you talked about the situation and you said we have to stop being so self-consumed we need to stop trying to be perfect we need each other and to bear each other's burdens we need to stop looking for a hero and we need to stop being a hero we need to check our hero and victim mentality and course correct so that we create deeper connection and in all drama there is always a relationship component everything you sink Think, say, and do ultimately affects your relationships, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. As a human being, no matter what your role or title, relationships influence, guide, and shape your life. You can't change other people, but when you change, so do your relationships. I mean, I just had to read that out, and I even got goosebumps again reading that. Can you expand on that idea? Because we've sort of built to it throughout the show so far today. You know, um, for anybody just joining Marlene Chisholm, amazing person on Stopping Drama, author of Stop Workplace Drama, No Drama Leadership, and, and so much more. But that, that idea is something that I think for me personally, and for many I talk to, is something difficult for to shift the whole idea of perfection, to stop looking for a hero and, and to say that we don't even have to be the hero all the time. Yeah, it's, it's like Michael Jackson. I'm looking at the man in the mirror, you know, it's like when I decide to live in alignment and I know who I am and I tell myself the truth and I keep working on my own humanity and I accept the flaws and I don't need to posture and be perfect and I know I interrupt or I know I get angry or I talk too fast sometimes or whatever we all have these areas and some of it's just what we're born with and we can shape a little bit but I believe that the less judgment we give ourselves and we give ourselves grace the more we give that to other people and the more we try to posture and be perfect and uh, the harder we are on ourselves, the more we want others to live to that standard. And I was just having a conversation with a client today about trust. You know, when, when I work with people that say, well, I don't trust them, or I'm not trusting my colleagues, mm. I'm not trusting my boss, I'm not trusting my spouse. I often say, you don't have to trust them, you just have to trust you. So whatever decision you make, whether that's getting back together with someone that's you know, had a roving eye or, you know, whether that's someone's betrayed you and you don't feel like you're over it and yet you still have this uh, conflicting desire to, to have the relationship, the friendship, the employment situation. 
who you really need to trust is you and what you've learned, your boundaries, your ability to say yes or no, your ability to ask for what you want and to control the amount of energy you give to that relationship. When we put all of our faith in the other person being a certain way or else we can't be happy, we're already setting ourselves up for victim hero mentality. Well, you know how much I love your books and you know how much I love you and, and your message and everything. I'm, I'm intrigued by what you mentioned that's starting to percolate back through my head during the blip that I had. I'm still blipping a little bit, so forgive me. The Raging 20s Leadership Roundtable, I don't really understand that, but it sounds fascinating. I mean, you've retooled the workshops that you were doing. You're really asking yourself, what's clarity for me now? What are the people that I want to serve, right? What, what do they need? Mm-hmm. And even looking at your client base, because you said that you you know, I know your work has mostly been with corporate leaders and now you're starting to work with individuals who, and those many of them are leaders. I mean, I've had CEOs, business owners, but I also have people that are emerging into leadership. And so what has occurred to me is this, I love the work that I've done over the last 20 years and what I've learned and how I've elevated and how I've created and less is more and simple is better right now in this economy. Less is more, simple is better. And so what could I provide that gives me what I love doing and I can do it at a less, I guess, uh, it's less costly, it's more affordable, um, and that it might be a sacrifice for some, but they're gonna get 10 times that value. And so I thought, well, what if it's kind of a combination of teaching a model or two, group coaching limited to 12 so that it's intimate, you get a base camp uh, online forum to keep, keep communicating and you get private email coaching. So when you consider that private email, private coaching is generally $2,500 a month for a minimum of three months, and for $250, you're getting email private coaching plus group coaching plus teaching a model plus conversing and facilitating online, the value whenever like it's, uh, like this next one coming up in, next Tuesday is on relationships. We'll be talking more about the drama triangle and about four reasons for relationship drama, about making other people your hero, where you need to, to take a stand, that kind of stuff. Right. But it's really based on what people need. I teach a couple of models, but at that point, the participants help to organically create what's delivered because they're having certain challenges, problems, or, or exciting things that are happening. So it's a combination. And so I used to think, well, everybody needs to be at the same level. And that might be true for certain things. But for this, the way I look at it now is that I just want people that's hungry for growth and that they've read some of my work or they like it or it resonates because if they have that in common, it won't matter if they're a beginning level supervisor or they've just graduated and they're in their dad's business and they're not getting along with a family member. It won't matter because the concepts are universal the differences are in the content of what's happening. And so from that place, when people start learning the universal principles, they can help each other as well as they're watching me coach someone and they're going, Oh, that's parallel to what I'm going through. You know? So that's, that's why I developed it. I I love that concept because it also helps people realize they're not alone. You know, I I see that so often when I work with clients one-on-one and I'll give them some, help them guide them to some solutions or just outright say, hey, you know, I've been there, done that. 
this is the way I've seen other people get through it. Let's work the walk, work the way you need to, to get through it. And they're like, really seriously, other people have gone through this exact thing. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, and like, oh that makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> because they well, don't feel like they're failing. They're like, oh, okay. I just need more, more information. And what so, I think too, is sometimes the CEO level person can see what a middle manager, how they're thinking about something, or they might be talking about their personal life. And they're like, wow, we connect on that level. So I think there's just a lot of division out there about social status and race and gender and all this kind of stuff. But at the core, we're all human beings. We all have personal lives. We all have, we want to elevate. And so when we get to know each other as human beings, it just changes everything. And so um, I, I really am loving where my business is going. That's, that's awesome. So Marlene, best way for people to get in touch with you, reach out, get your books. Yeah, uh, you can email me Marlene at MarleneChisholm.com. You can go to MarleneChisholm.com to see the website. You can connect with me here on Facebook or LinkedIn. Well, you know what? I don't take everybody on Facebook anymore. I just, I just kind of stop. So LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn's probably better for that, although this is Facebook. Uh, or you can shoot me an email that said, you heard me here and I'll connect with you in that aspect. But I just get so many anymore. I just decided, I don't know who's hacking and spamming. So yeah, and raging20sreset.com if you want to see the upcoming uh, program that's happening. The next one's going to be on clarity and decision making, and that's in September. That's perfect. And this will be going up to LinkedIn. I haven't been approved for LinkedIn Live as of yet. Uh, so this will go... It's obviously on Facebook Live now, then it will go up to YouTube, to LinkedIn, over to Twitter, to all the social media and up on my website as well, and to podcasts because it's all about the questions is on all platforms. And it's um, over 40 some odd countries now. Wow. Listening to the show regularly and I, I just love that. So it's really cool. And last I checked, the show was ranked uh, 350 in the U.S. in all podcasts for business. Wow. So that, that was pretty cool. Because yeah. <laughs> there's probably 10,000, right? <laughs> oh, no, there, there's like over, um, it's over 200,000 plus podcasts in each of the individual subcategories. Wow. So there's over a million podcasts that are out there right now. So, I mean, to be in, in the top couple hundred is pretty amazing. And it's because of guests like you. So thanks so much for, uh, for being here with me and sharing your wisdom, my friend. Thank you for having me. So everybody go to Marlene Chisholm, C-H-I-S-M.com to find out more. And what was the, um, well, they can find out about your Raging 20s program. It, and there's a, a navigation link we've put on the front page, but it's Raging 20s, the 2-0, Raging20sreset.com if you're interested in being in this next roundtable. We still have some spots. I kind of uh, got lax on the marketing of this one. Usually they fill up pretty fast, but like I'm trying to learn that juggling of marketing something while I'm doing it and expanding how we do that and who does it. And so I'm learning like everybody else and I tr I'm trusting the journey, you know, uh, the amount of people that's there and the people that are there are the ones supposed to be there. Yeah. You're trusting the journey because you've got clarity. That's a beautiful I thing. I have clarity, complete clarity. And I, I love her books. So if you're not ready to do other stuff with Marlene, please get her book, Stop Workplace Drama, No Drama and Leadership. Sign up for her blog. Um, her emails are amazing, as you heard me read just from her last email. That gives me goosebumps every time I read it. Because as you all know, the right questions can change your life. And Marlene taught us so many amazing new questions that you can ask yourself. So remember that. And ask yourself great questions, ask others really great questions. 
and know that we're here whenever you need to and we want to help you move forward because I love questions because they can change your life. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.